Let's take our Bibles tonight. Turn over to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Glad to have you with us this evening and again another beautiful day. Man, we've been blessed with some tremendous weather and grateful for that. <clears throat> we uh, began a series a number of weeks ago. It's been uh, somewhat uh, sporadic as it's uh, due to a number of interruptions along the way. We've been talking about growing in the Christian life, growing in the Christian life. And uh, we've dealt with prayer. We recently finished that. We talked about victorious Christian living, the will of God, the Bible. Talked about a couple of things like that. Tonight we want to discuss Bible separation. Talk about some Bible separation tonight. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 14. And we'll go ahead and read those passages all the way through the end of chapter uh, 6. Uh, and, and we'll go from there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. The Bible says, But uh, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. If we're going to be our best for the Lord, then we cannot be careless, we cannot be worldly. It's important that we do not lower our standards of what is right and wrong simply because other Christians appear to be living in a very undisciplined way. Amen. Our standard is the Word of God. And God calls every one his, of His children to a life of separation. And that is to say that He calls us to voluntarily voluntarily, voluntarily, and deliberately separate ourselves from all evil and things that displease Him. There's no reason in the world why somebody should have to boot you along the Christian life, push you along in the Christian life, require you, demand of you, set a standard or a set of rules before you to do what you ought to be doing as a believer. We'll talk a little bit about those things. But someone has said that Christian separation is the power to live in, a, in the world and not, uh, and not of it. To be in it, but not to be uh, of it. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we learn a couple things about, I guess, Christian separation. And Christians are to be very unique people. They're very unique. They're very different. All I need to do is talk to a few of you, and I know you're very different. Some in a good way, some in a bad way. <clears throat> you may say the same of me. But either way, we're to be unique people. We find here in our passage, in verse 14, that believers are distinct from unbelievers. Believers are distinct from unbelievers. There ought to be a very distinct difference 
between what the world is and what we are, what unbelievers think and act and live like and what we think and act and live like. We're very different. We're very distinct. And then we find also that they, believers, are workers of righteousness opposed to unrighteousness. That we as believers are children of light and not children of darkness. We move to verse 15 and we find that we as believers belong to Christ. We're His property and not Belial or Satan or the devil. That we are a part, in verse 16, of the temple of God. Therefore, we can have no part in idolatry. Again, because of these truths, because believers are distinct from unbelievers, because workers of righteousness are opposed to, excuse me, to unrighteousness, because the children of light are not children of darkness, because simply we belong to Christ and not belong, because we're the temple of God and have no part with idolatry. Wherefore, verse 17, notice the word wherefore. Notice the emphasis, the force wherewith it's given. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. So tonight we want to touch on, we want to speak about, we want to address this aspect of biblical separation. And so before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you thanking you for this great opportunity that we have to gather in your house tonight. Thank you again for the health and for the ability that we have. Lord, what a privilege it is. Father, one day we won't be able to come to church, and we'll want to. Lord, tonight we're here because we want to be here. May we cherish it. May we count it a privilege. Truly embrace it. Love it. Enjoy it. And then, Lord, glean from it. May we leave here different for having come. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to my heart. Lord, may you anoint me, fill me, and allow me to be your mouthpiece. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you'd anoint every listening ear, and may we hear with spiritual ears. The truth may be seated deep in our hearts, not stolen, or taken by the devil and the tempter himself. Father, do your work in our heart and our lives. And may we be ever different. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Let me share three thoughts with you. First of all, I want to talk about the source of scriptural separation. The source of scriptural separation. I don't know about you, but I can feel that some of you are nervous already. You're already nervous. Loosen up. Lighten up. It'll be okay. You'll live. It's going to be all right. We're just talking about the Bible. Talk about the Bible every service. It'll be okay. The source of scriptural separation. I want you to understand that this aspect of separation is not some preacher's position. 
It's not some church's stand, or it's not some person's personal proposition. This separation was birthed in heaven by God and brought to earth by way of the Bible. Separation is God's deal. So what we find is the source of scriptural separation begins with, first of all, God himself. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. That God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. You have separation there. God is the author of separation. Not the Baptist church. Not the Methodist church. Not the Presbyterian church. Not the the, the Catholic church. Not some organization, institution, or denomination. God is the author of separation. He began it, and He will end it. He is light, and in Him is no darkness. He is separate from darkness. And He began this separation thing. Not only do we see God Himself being the source of separation. And by the way, separation is not a bad word. It's not a bad word. It's gotten bad attitude, it's got a bad rap, and it's gotten a bad uh, view because people have decided to give it one. Because we're tired of living by any kind of standard or moral uh, quota. We just simply want to do as we please. That's the bottom line. I don't want no one telling me how to live. I don't want anyone thinking they're going to tell me what to do, where to go, how to think, how to act. I'm my own person. I'll do as I please. That's the attitude of our culture. I mean, they got those bumper stickers on the back of their cars. You know, no fear. No fear. No fear. Put a gun to your head. Tell me no fear now. You know, be driving your car and have a semi cross the street in the front of you. All of a sudden, when you're going to face on, head on with a semi, d- tell me no fear. When you got, uh, you know, Bruce Lee or myself, and you got to deal with us, tell me no fear. <laughs> well, maybe Bruce Lee, especially seeing that he hasn't been around a while. If I seen him, I'd be scared too. No fear. That's, that's a joke. No fear. Give me a break. God himself, that's a source of scriptural separation, but also the Bible. Let's take a look at the Bible a little bit. I mean, the, in the Bible, separation is emphasized all the way from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, God distinguishes between good and evil, right and wrong, light and darkness, Over in Genesis 1-4, the Bible says, And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from darkness. Right in the very beginning, God's saying, I'm going to start dealing with separation. And it starts right in the beginning of the Bible. Verse 4, right there it is. We could see it even sooner, I believe, but right there is a good place to begin. God even separates a man to bring forth a nation. Over there in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Now the Lord has said unto Abram, 
Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will shew thee. I mean, Abram was living there on the other side of, of, of the Euphrates there, the other side of the river and, and, and the flood, the Bible says later in Joshua. And, and, and God says to him, it's time for you to separate yourself from your family, from your kindred, from your country, from your job and all of those things. And you're to separate yourself. I'm going to make you a nation. He couldn't have done that if he wouldn't have separated himself. If he'd have been like everybody else, he wouldn't be different. And so he became the first Hebrew, ultimately beginning the Hebrew race, which became Israel. God separated a man early on in the book of Genesis and called him unto himself to ultimately father his people. God gives a token of his covenant, ultimately, to distinguish those same people from all others on the earth. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 10, he says, This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. God separated his people, and he had a physical outward expression of that separation. And he said, you're going to be different than the rest of the world, and I'm going to make sure that it is quite noticeable and distinct. There'll be no doubt. Israel was considered God's peculiar people, even. They were separated unto him. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2, the Bible says, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. And the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. A peculiar people. You know, we see that fact being exhibited as we note them being forbidden to eat pork and even certain fish. Hey, can you imagine? In living in the day in which we live, we're really not forbidden to eat anything except, you know, sugar and, let's see, what's... Well, we're not allowed to have cookies at school anymore. That's right. We're, oh, yeah, I guess we are forbidden some things. It's the law of the land. But anyway, we didn't used to up till four or five years ago. But anyway, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be honest with you. If I want to eat a double quarter pounder with cheese, I want to eat a double quarter pounder with cheese. I want to tell me I can't eat that. You, you know what I'm saying? No, I know, I know in our schools we might want to be a little careful because unfortunately we don't have enough good moms and dads. I'm sorry, can I say it the way it is? Send, we got, you know that we feed our children out, now they pass bills. They want to not only give them lunch, they want to give them breakfast and lunch now. You don't know why? They want to control the intake of children. Why? In most cases, parents aren't doing the job. So the government's going to come in and help us. They're going to protect us from ourselves. That's what they're doing. Listen, we have created that monster. You can look at the, you can go ahead, we can look at uh, Washington all we want, and we can say they're bad people trying to tell us how to live. But the truth is, look at society. Society needs somebody to tell them how to live. Unfortunately, fortunately, our politicians aren't very moral, so we throw that one out the window. But when it comes to some other areas, we're very quick to try to help our people and protect them from themselves. It's amazing to me. You can't kill an animal but you can kill a baby. <clears throat> That's amazing to me. That's amazing. I'm amazed. I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but that bothers me. 
I thought to myself, if I put a little ad on the, news, on the television set and showed little fetuses inside mama's ba- in wombs and showing them getting ripped into pieces and parts and then said, would you support that for $20 a month so that we can stop abortion? They wouldn't even let it run on the television set. But we can show these pitiful looking animals that are dying from starvation in some third world country and sit there and say, give $20 a month and save an animal, but go ahead and murder the babies. I don't know why I'm getting on that, but it's bothering me. I don't like inconsistency like that. So let's talk about eating pork and certain fish. They weren't allowed to do it. They weren't even allowed to do it. I love a good ham. Pork. Mm. You got to love it. Now you say, I don't love it. That's all right. You don't got it, I guess. But I do. I love it. I got that gene. I don't know what it is. Leviticus chapter 11, though, verse 7, whether they liked it or not, they weren't allowed to eat it. It's called the law. God had separated them unto himself, and he said, In the swine, though he be divide the hoof and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud. He is unclean to you. Leviticus eleven twelve says, Whatsoever hath no fins nor scales in the waters, that shall be an abomination unto you. Man, God had separated these people. Separation was something that is... is out from heaven itself, from God himself, and the word of God establishes it. They weren't allowed to plow with an ox and an ass together. They weren't allowed to do it. That was unequally yoking. Over there in Deuteronomy 20.10, Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. You're not going to do that. They weren't allowed to plant two kinds of seeds together. Leviticus 19, 19, you shall keep my statutes. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with a diverse kind. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. Well, that's crazy, Lord. What are you talking about? Why are you so bent out of shape about those things? Because I'm concerned about separation. I don't want you to be like the other people of the land. I want you to be distinct, unique, and different. See, all of these things taught the same lesson. Separation. Separation. Come out from among them and be ye separate. That was my... Yeah, that, that was my... Yeah, I told you I'm a spiritual schizophrenic. So, whoever I hear and see, I kind of do it. Oh, but anyway. <clears throat> the church is in the New Testament is given the same designation. You know, you look at the church in the New Testament, Titus, Titus chapter 2, verse 14... Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now listen, the church, don't misunderstand what's going on here. The church in no way took the place of Israel. We didn't take the place of Israel. And Israel is Israel, the church is the church. Don't don't let that get you all mixed up, all right? So don't go around claiming the promises that God gave to Israel as yours. Hey, he said they were peculiar people, but God put them on the back burner. Now we're the peculiar people. We have right to the promises he gave. Go ahead and walk around Jericho seven times. See if the walls fall. They won't. They won't. Now I'm going to be honest with you. The carousel came available. I walked around the carousel seven times. And I claimed it. 
But I felt like the Lord would have me walk around the carousel seven times. I didn't open my Bible up to some passage in the Old Testament and go, you did it for them, you're promising it to me. No, I just thought and felt like it'd be a good idea. And God didn't, I don't really think God gave it to me just because I walked around seven times. I really didn't walk around, I did walk around seven times at one time one day on a Sunday. I tried. I, I decided not to do the whole thing. This is kind of far. I stayed right around the main building. And unfortunately now, we got four acres we got to buy all because I didn't walk around it. <laughs> First Peter 2.9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's ask some general questions now. General questions that will help us determine whether something is appropriate or not for the believer. Number one, will it glorify God or not? I want to make sure that I'm not being yoked with the world. I want to make sure that I'm separated under the Lord. What kind of questions can I ask myself that will help protect me to remain separated under the Lord? Well, first of all, will it glorify God or not? What you're doing, what you're saying, how you're living, how you're acting, what you're thinking... Will it glorify God or not? Number two, will it promote or endanger my Christian life? Will it help me to go forward in my Christian life? Or what I'm going to do, say, think, or, or feel, is that going to kind of hinder my, my, my success in the Christian life? Hinder my progress? A man says, well, there's nothing wrong with golf. So I've taken up golf. I want to ask you a question. Will that hinder your Christian life? I didn't say there's anything wrong with golfing. Matter of fact, the staff and us, we went out golfing the other day. Josh and I, we played Mr. uh, Hamilton and Brother Kavanaugh, and we beat them. I love golf. I'm good at it. At least better than them. You didn't think I was going to ever do that publicly, did you, brother? But anyway, I'm not really that good. They're just that bad. But anyway... (laughs) He's not laughing anymore. He's, I see him wiping his eye right now. He's crying. And I think he's crying because he's so angry. You ever get so angry you start crying? I remember one time I was coming home from school and this big kid was picking on me. And man, he was picking on me bad. And he was a real big kid. I think he was six foot when he was in the third grade. And he was picking on me and I, I, I was tired of it. And I was running home from school there for a while because I, I, didn't, I didn't like getting picked on. And, and I know you can't hardly believe that as you look at me now, the man that I am. But, uh, <laughs> Cody, you don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, let me help you there. But anyway, I remember when, when I was going home and that big guy kept picking on me and I kept trying to get away. One day he caught me. He caught me. And I mean to tell you, it was just so bad I couldn't take it no more. And I remember getting to crying. I was so mad. I was like, whoa. And I started crying. He's like, you little baby. Ha, you little baby. You're crying. You're so scared. I wasn't scared. I was so mad I couldn't stand it. I started crying. I lit into him, man. He didn't know what happened. <laughs> I didn't beat him up because he's so big. I just kept hitting him. But he finally thought, well, I guess he ain't scared of me. So he loves to stop messing with me. <laughs> I mean, I remember punched him as hard as I could. And he didn't even budge. But anyway, <clears throat> I mean, he was big. But I was that mad. I was like that mad. And he's like, wow, you know, okay. So he just left me alone after that. Sometimes you just got to let him know you ain't scared. And if you are, you don't act like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Will it promote or endanger my Christian life? Number three, will it help or hinder a weaker brother? Will it help or hinder a weaker brother? That's a good question, isn't it? You know, the Christian life's really not about me. It's about others. And every decision I make affects people. Now, sometimes my decisions have to hurt people because sometimes people need hurt. You can't always say yes to your kids. Sometimes you have to say no and it hurts. And sometimes you have to call it what it is. That doesn't feel good. But hold on a second. When I start thinking about where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say, how I'm going to live, I've got to ask myself a question. I'm to be separated unto God. Is my life going to hinder or hamper another believer? Is it going to ultimately keep them from being what they can be? See, dads and moms, that's why it's important that we live like the Christian we claim to be. Because ultimately that's going to hinder or hamper our young person, or it's going to catapult them to success in the Christian life. Number four, will it prosper or damage my witness or testimony? Will it prosper or damage my witness or testimony? Boy, that, that testimony is a major... Boy, that, that thing's so important. Your testimony is important. You've got to be so careful with that. I was over at Brother... Uh, um, Dave Herman's church uh, last night uh, went soul winning early about 5 o'clock was able to get over there by 7 to hear Brother Earl Ankrum he talked about a testimony you better be glad he's not your preacher After, I mean you talk about that was vintage Brother Earl Ankrum vintage that was good now, it's kind of rough, but it was good. I thought I was in prison. <laughs> Sound like Rock of Ages preaching, brother. Smash mouth. But he was talking about that the testimony. Boy, I'll tell you what, you better be careful of that testimony. Before you gossip. Before you fly off the handle. Before you get to cussing. Before you steal or cheat. Before you quit. You better be careful. Your testimony is at stake. Number five. Will it please or grieve the Holy Spirit? What you're saying, what you're thinking, what you're doing, where you're going, who you're with. Will it please or grieve the Holy Spirit? Good question. He does live in you. Lives in me, lives in you. He's God himself. and I would hate to grieve him. I think we take that a little bit too lightly many times, don't we? We forget that God lives in us. We forget that we, we, we take him where we go. We expose him to the things that we see, feel, touch, hear, think. Well, that's, that's an amazing thought. That's a sobering thought, really. <clears throat> Number six... Will it lead me into or out of God's will? 
Well, you know, I, I can't help but think of this one, Mr. Hamilton. I think about teenagers getting jobs. Is it the will of God? Is there anything wrong with it? I don't know. I think it's kind of good for kids to learn how to work. I think they need to learn. But hold on a second. My question isn't, will they learn how to work? I can put them in the backyard and make them dig a hole. They'll learn to work. The question is, will it lead them in or out of God's will? I need to think about that before I put my teenager to work. I better ask myself, are they able to handle it, or are they going to get caught up with all those kind of friends? And should I determine where they're going to work and what environment they'll be in? Should I, as a parent, be concerned about whether or not my child's going to make a decision that will lead them into or out of the will of God? And in your own life, you have to make those decisions every day. I mean, I don't know why in the world a Christian man would take a job selling beer. I don't know why they do that. Why they would put themselves around that environment, put themselves in the midst of that kind of situation to where they might be tempted. Be careful, will that job cause you to draw closer and place you into the will of God or will it get you out of? I mean, I don't know, man. We've got all kind of crazy... Can you imagine a girl working at Hooters? Christian girl? And that, that kind of stuff's going on all the time in Christianity. I mean, you got churches meeting in bars today, having Bible studies. Are, are, what, what planet are we on? Will it lead me into or out of God's will? Number seven, finally. Will it adorn the doctrine of God? Look at chapter, uh, Titus chapter 2 real quick. We're not going to spend much time, really. We're just going to note this and move on. But notice what it says in Titus chapter 2. You know, we, we, we like to emphasize grace. And, I, and I'm all for grace. I, if it wasn't for grace, I'd be lost. I'd be headed to hell. If it wasn't for grace, I wouldn't have the indwelling presence of Christ. I wouldn't have the favor of God. I wouldn't have the position or the place that I have today. I wouldn't have the wife and the family that I now possess. I, I wouldn't be considered a steward of those things. God would never have permitted it without grace. I don't deserve a thing. But that, that grace and that liberty that we so desperately want to hold on to is not a license to go contrary to God's word or to live in opposition to his truths. We've got to be careful of that thing. Notice here, it says in Titus chapter 2, verse 10, what a great passage. <laughs> it says, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. You know what he's talking about? The doctrine of God. Think about it. If you could put a, paint a picture in your mind of the doctrine of God, what it would look like. You'd say, well, I don't know. It would probably include a lot of things, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Include a lot of things. I mean, you'd include the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would include, you start talking about the doctrine of God, you'd talk about the, 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 the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the, the, the uh, sinless perfection of the Lord Jesus, the, 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 the blood and, and the fact that it was efficable for the whole world and uh, that... That salvation is by grace. I mean, you're talking about the doctrine of God, but let me tell you what adorning is. Adorning is putting on, it's wearing. 
said, here's that doctrine of God. I'm going to adorn that doctrine. I'm going to put it on. I'm going to go ahead and display it before the world. What are you displaying? See, when the world looks at our life, do they see the gospel? Do they see the word of God? Do they see Christ in us? Do they see the, the doctrines adorned? In the book of, what is it now? My mind's going blank. Galatians chapter 5, verse, what is it, 22 and 23. It says, I, for, I forgot I was going to quote it to you, but you know how it goes. I, you know how it is. Don't you? Somebody? Anybody? <laughs> As soon as I see it, I'm going to know it. I'm going to know it. I just feel it. Here we go. There it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. You adorn the doctrine of God, i got to believe that joy ought to be showing up. It ought to be seen on you. The doctrine of God is not seen in a frown. It's seen in a smile. I want to encourage you to adorn the doctrine of God. I mean, before I step out into the world, before I do what I'm going to do tomorrow, let me ask myself a question concerning this separation. This separation that began with God in heaven. This separation that has been spoken of and addressed from Genesis to Revelation. Will it adorn the doctrine of God? Will it put the gospel on display in a positive light? Finally, not only because of time, let me just hit this real quickly. The source of scriptural separation. Let's look at the scope of scriptural separation. I may not really get through all of this, but at least tonight. Separation touches every aspect of the believer's life. Every single one. Now, before I go talking about separation, I want you to understand a very important principle here. I'm convinced that we often misunderstand separation. If we're not careful, we get the idea that separation is all about this out here. My relationship to this out here. And I'm going to tell you, it has a major part in separation. But let me tell you, separation begins inside. You know why we're struggling with separation in our lives today? Because it doesn't, it's not starting on the inside. Oh, we know what we're supposed to do, and we know what the Bible says, and we read the verses, and we realize we're to be a peculiar people. We know we're to be separated and come out from among them and be separate. We know those things. And so what do we do? We put them into practice. We set our standards high. We put them in place. We say, I'm not going to go here, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to say this, I'm not going to dress that way, I'm not going to look that way, I'm not going to act that way. And we really, we put them into practice. We take them from our head right to our hands. The problem is, they bypass our heart. It's not inside. We're obeying a set of rules that we've put in place to somehow protect ourselves or somehow convince ourselves that we are truly right with God. 
or to somehow keep up with the Joneses or to fit in at the church or to make sure that everybody thinks I'm a good person. Can I tell you that scriptural separation is all about you? What I mean by that is, God didn't put scriptural separation in for him. He really puts it in for you because he wants to protect you from some things. That's why it's there. This isn't about God trying to be a bad guy or tough dude or rule the roost. He he does that anyway. He's God. But, but, But separation is about protecting you, preserving your lifestyle, keeping you safe from harm. And God has instituted separation, and God demands separation, no doubt about it. But it's supposed to start in our head. We ought to have the knowledge of it. We ought to see it written on the pages of Scripture. But then it ought to just somehow, it's got to make its way into our heart. And then when it begins to express itself outwardly from our hands, we don't need somebody going, excuse me, why'd you go there? Why are you doing that? Oh, you're right, I shouldn't have went. Oh, I got caught. Can't stand all these stupid rules. You know why? Because it's not you. It's not inside. It's just a rule. I'm going to be honest with you. Rules without reasons equal rebellion. And we can have all kinds of reasons, but I'm going to tell you something. If you honestly do not have separation in your heart, if you don't have a desire to live Christ-like, if you really don't want holiness as a goal in your life, if you don't want to be separated from the world and you still love the world, love the flesh, and love those things, then let me tell you, no set of rules in the world will please you. You will never be satisfied with the rules. You will always feel as though they're just hindering and hampering you and holding you back. And you always feel like you're big enough and strong enough to deal without them. But in reality, you haven't even gotten there yet. No one should have to make you separate yourself from that world. No one should have to give you a rule. Teenagers, it's a little pitiful that your kids have, that your parents have to tell you everything to do and what to wear and how to act and how to live. There comes a point where you have to start doing those things on your own. It starts young, and it's got to work through. And it's sad today that we have to have standards in our church, really. But the truth is, if we didn't, everybody and their brother would have their own idea of what it is to be modest. Everybody and their brother have their own idea of what it means to be chaste. Everybody and their brother would have their own idea of what it means to be separated. It would be a mess in here. It'd be a three-ring circus. You'd have one person up here singing on the stage, singing Christian rock. The other one would be singing Christian opera. Oh, I would never sing even Amazing Grace. It's a little bit too risque in the church. I mean, stupid stuff. You got people that are on one end of the spectrum, others that are on the other end of the spectrum. But let me tell you something. You better find out what God's Word says about some things. And you better make it yours. Otherwise, you're going to get pretty ticked off about ours. It has to start here. It goes from here. I got it. Here's what the Bible says. That's what I want. I want what God says and what He wants. And then I'm going to go ahead and do it. Once you get there, it's not a problem because His commands aren't grievous. Separation touches every aspect of the believer's life. It starts in the head, goes to the heart, then to the hand. We're skipping the heart too often, and that's why people leave 
upset about standards. I'm going to say something tonight because I feel it needs said. Let me say this. Christian maturity is not a number. It's not time. I'm just going to lay it out for you. Earl Ankrum last night said he got saved. Within four days, he was standing on the corner street preaching. You know, there are people in this room that think you put someone to work after six months being in a church, that they're too young and they can't handle it. If you think that way, you're wrong. You know what the problem is today? We're not growing up. We're being babies. We don't want to grow up. We don't want to take responsibility on. We don't want to have, we don't want to have to have any pressure put or weight put on our shoulders. Hey, listen, if you come to Community Baptist Temple, you get through discipleship, you're ready to help out somewhere. You don't need three years to get ready. You don't need somebody to personally take you under their wing for the next four years and teach you the ministry. You are able to deal with this stuff. You've got to personally want something and want to grow and move forward for God. Have some spirituality, a depth of spirituality. No one should have to tell you you've got to pray every day. No one should have to keep telling you to read your Bible. No one should have to do that because God does it. <clears throat> and truthfully, if God, honestly, if God, if you won't listen to him, you're not listening to me. I'm not going to be able to convince you to do something that God's telling you to do and you won't do. Just, man, we got to grow up around here. Christians in America are immature. And you know why we're immature? Because we're carnal. You can't grow spiritually when you want to grow fleshly. <clears throat> Preacher, you're such a blessing tonight. You really are helping us. Man, we are so thankful for you tonight. Let me tell you a story that might help you. And I didn't even get into this yet, but let's talk about, and, and I'm not going to talk about it because I'm just going to give you this story. It's fun. It wasn't fun for me. We think about associations real quick. And, and we talk about separation and all those things. I remember, it, wasn't that, it, was, well, it was quite a few years ago now, actually, but I was, uh, Sharon and I was in the room. She was, she was ironing and doing some things like that, getting, getting clothes ready to go and stuff, and I was kind of messing with her and picking on her. Being extremely nice to her. She holds up this iron. And she says, you better leave me alone. And I said, come on, what's your problem? She's like, don't you touch me. Get away from me. I'm like, what? come on, I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to love my wife. She goes, we're getting ready to go somewhere. You leave me alone. She's like, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought she was joking. I got too close to her, and you know what happened? Whoa! She burned me. She burned me. I was like, what are you doing? That hurt. I told you. What? You're supposed to be a help meet. The other day, I mean, just a few days ago, I... I I go in the bedroom, she's in there curling her hair. And I was messing with her. And she went, don't you dare. And I thought, she'll do it. 
You know, you know what the deal is? <clears throat> I'm just going to say it this way. We really don't believe that when we get too close to the wrong people, we get too close to the wrong things, when we snuggle up to the world or to some things that we know don't really please God, we aren't convinced that we're going to get burned. That's our real problem. Boy, I messed with Sherry a long time because I didn't think she'd really burn me. She burned me. And the next time I got kind of close to her and she threatened, I knew, don't play. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Some of you have been burned, haven't you? You know better now. You know. We've been burned. We know it hurts. It hurts when you get out in that world and you snuggle up to the world and you allow the flesh to have control of your life and you start kind of getting friendly with it. And, it, and, and God said, it's going to burn you. It's going to burn you. And you say, oh, I don't believe it. It's all right. It's, ah, that hurt. That burned. But you know what? Unfortunately, some people don't learn their lesson and others have never learned it yet. I want to encourage you, don't get burned. And God's word's clear. Separate yourself unto him. Hate evil, love good. Don't allow yourself to get mixed up with the wrong crowd and think about the wrong things and go to the wrong places. I don't even have to tell you what they are. You know what they are. But be careful. You'll get burned. But he loves me. God loves me. He would never let anything bad happen to me. Yeah, my wife loves me too, I thought. <laughs> she says it was for my own good. I still haven't figured out how. But <laughs> You get the point, though. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much, Father, for what you've done for us and how you, you meet needs in our lives. We're thankful.